Good morning, everyone. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word is found in your bulletin, and it helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 831. Again, the text is Matthew 6, 7 through 15, found on page 831. Hear now the word of the Lord. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, would you please send your spirit to change us from the inside out, to conform us to the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning, as the disciples uh, said to Jesus, uh, teach us, teach us to pray. Uh, For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, uh, I just wanted to, before we jumped into a sermon series this fall in the book of Exodus, uh, I would like to just do a standalone sermon on the Lord's Prayer. I have preached on this before, but I'll preach on it again, and I will preach it on it yet again, because it's so central to the Christian life. And I'm going to do it in a very basic way this morning, simply walking through the text. Because I don't know about you, but the words of the Lord's Prayer, at least some of them, can be somewhat, somewhat arcane, somewhat foreign like what does that mean to hallow God's name? Or what does it mean that his kingdom should become? What, what do these words actually mean? And I want to be able to offer to you this morning uh, a, a, real, a summary, if you will, of, of what Jesus is trying to tell us. So let's just, uh, looking at the, at, the, at the text here, look on page 831 of your pew Bible if you want to follow along. And uh, there are actually two ways that Jesus tells us not to pray before actually, before actually giving us the words of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not going to go into both of them, just one of them. And that's why I had um, Kathy begin at verse 7. She, uh, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now what's interesting here is that this, in verse 7 is the second time that Jesus has, says, and, has said, And when you pray. And it's almost the assumption that you're going to be praying. And for, for many of us, we may actually say, well, you know, I, I, if I'm honest, I don't really pray much at all. But Jesus assumes a prayer life here. And, and there's truth to that, to the fact that often we just simply don't pray. But what's amazing 
is that actually prayer is a very human act. I can't tell you the number of non-Christians, people I know who are avowed atheists, who will say in times of crisis, in times of real alarm, in times of great uncertainty, in times of great fear, guess what they do? They pray. <laughs> and we've all been there. We're not, I'm not throwing stones here, right? It's like, oh no, this is really bad. I'm out of control. There's no hope for me. Maybe I'll start talking to God. And I want to suggest to you this morning that actually prayer is a profoundly, not just Christian thing, but a profoundly human thing. That even if it's not prayers to the God of Israel or prayers to Jesus, that throughout human history, humans have had this longing to connect with someone or something beyond. But in fact, and it's, and it's often in those moments of crisis that that awareness comes to the very fore, comes to the very front. And so actually, prayer is a very human thing to do, and Jesus shows us the way to pray. And again, first, by contrast, by saying, here's not how to pray. And here, I'm just going to focus, like I said, on one of them. And this first one is that Jesus says that when we pray, we are not to pray in order, are you ready for this? In order to campaign for our cause. Again, look at verse 7 again. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. You should say like the Gentiles, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. This word heard here in Greek, esakuo, uh, could actually be translated more like obeyed. They think they will be obeyed. Or you could even translate it, they, they, they think they will be heeded. You know, to, to heed something, to obey, to come around. The idea is that the Gentile, and this is where Jesus is describing Gentile prayer, the prayers of the nations that usually the incantations, usually the various uh, uh, um, things that would be recited were the, the longer you did it, the, the more intensely you did it, it was a way of manipulating the God to do your will. It's a way of campaigning for your cause. Jesus says the Gentiles is what they do. They go and they go on and on and on and on and they do it with the, a real intensity and a longevity uh, that somehow will get the God to come around to acquiesce to do what they want, what, what, the, what the, uh, pray, the person praying wants. And Jesus says, don't do that. That's not what it's about. And the reason why is very simple. He explains it in verse 8. Do you see what he says? Do not be like them. Why? For, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that amazing? It's a way of saying, listen, when we go to pray, we're not here to campaign for our cause as if we know what's best. Does that make sense? It's sort of like the, the child who goes to the parent presuming they know what they need. The, father, the, the, the parent knows exactly what the child needs. In fact, the, the parent has a much better idea of what a child actually needs. And so Jesus says, when you pray, do not pray like the pagans. Do not campaign for your cause. What a beautiful thing that our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask Him. So when we pray, we, so let me say it this way, in a sense, prayer is a lot like 
is a lot less, it's much less like going to a store to buy something and much more, listen to this, like a soldier who goes in to talk with his commanding officer to rediscover the battle plan, to reconnect with what resources are, are where. It's this consultation, it's this communication, it's this, the way in which a soldier or, or perhaps a, a, a subordinate will go in to talk to their supervisor as a way of reorienting them and helping them understand what's really going on in life. And so when we pray, says Jesus, we are not to pray, we're not to pray to campaign for our own cause. So what are we to do? When we pray, says Jesus, rather than creating or rather than campaigning for our cause, we are simply, you ready for this? When we pray, we are simply here to connect with our Father, to connect to God as a Father. Six times in these ten verses, from verse 5 all the way into verse 15, Jesus refers to God as a Father. Look in verse 6. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. In fact, Jesus describes God as an ever-gracious, all-wise Father. He's ever-gracious. Look at verse 6 again. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, not because we deserve it, but because he just loves to give good gifts. He's ever-gracious never gracious father, but also an all-wise father. We just mentioned this in verse 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay? So when we pray, Jesus says, don't pray as one who's campaigning for your cause, but simply pray as one who seeks to connect with your heavenly father. And now let's jump into the actual prayer itself. Jesus gives us, let me, let me give you some words to summarize to summarize this Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, listen to this, he says, Father, there are four petitions, stand out, take over, satisfy us, and set us free. Let me say those again. Can you I want you to remember those? Father, stand out, take over, satisfy us, and set us free. Now in verse 9, Jesus begins, this then is how you are to pray. Our Father in heaven. What does it mean to connect with God by calling him a father? Well, in the first century world, a father was first known, are you ready for this? For his authority. For his authority. His authority in two ways. That first, God as father has the final word. He is the final word. He is the ultimate authority. There is no one beyond him. He is in control. And he has the final word. But, it, but authority doesn't just connote the notion of, of finality. It connotes the idea of wisdom. Not only does he have the final word, he has the best word. Got that? As a fa- the, what's that old saying? Father knows best. So we go to our Father confident that he has the final word. But not only does he have a final word, he has the best word. It's the end of the discussion, if you will, because our Father is final. But not only is there authority, this is so important, it's identity. Who, in the, who, who gives us our identity? Who tells us who we are? 
our, our father, our parents do, don't they? This world doesn't get to define you. Your, your boss, your supervisor, your whoever, whoever made this world doesn't tell you who you are. In, our, in, our, in, our, in the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded of who we are. Now remember this, to whom, to whom is Jesus speaking? He's speaking prominently to non-citizens. These aren't Roman, citizens of the Roman Empire. They're in the backwaters of the, of, the, of the Roman world. He's speaking to those who were exploited and ignored, to those who'd been told so many times by society that they were worthless, so much so that they believed it. And then Jesus says that they have the right to call Israel's God Father. Why? Because they're his children. Okay, so authority and identity. So again, just to recap here, Jesus says that when we pray, we are to pray not to campaign for our cause, but to connect with our heaven, to commune with our heavenly Father, and to say, Father, first stand out. That is what verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kids, you know what a name is? Like, it's a person's reputation. To hallow something is to make it holy. It's to make it different or special. It's to make it stand out. And the very first petition of the Lord's Prayer is saying, Father, stand out. Show the world how there's no one like you. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, Father, stand out so that everyone will know that there's no one, no one, no one like you. There's no one as strong as you are. The one who can do the seemingly impossible. The one who makes pawns, who makes princes simply pawns in his plans to fulfill his purposes for his people. And there's no one as sly or as shrewd as you are, who acts in ways that no one sees coming. There's no one as completely self-sufficient and independent as you are. And there's no one who can somehow make a claim on God or manipulate or, or, or in any way uh, uh, set some conditions that he has to fulfill. He's completely independent. There's no one as slow to anger as God is. There's no one who loves to say again and again and again, I forgive you. There's no one as loving as he is. As I mentioned earlier, God's love is better than life, as the psalmist says, and it's stronger than death. There's no one who wants to have a relationship with frail and failing people as much as he does. He's the defender of the widow, the fatherless, and the foreigner. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you see this? So the whole idea is that this very first commandment, this very first petition, excuse me, is this, is this earnest desire that God would show himself as he truly is. In fact, we, didn't, we just heard the beautiful, uh, the, the, the beautiful hymn, uh, Be Thou My Vision, right? And it's just, the song is a longing for God to be who he really is. Right, so this, uh, um, so we, this, this petition speaks of and, and, and longs for us to see God for who He truly is. Now, why does why does Jesus make this the first petition? It almost maybe seems a little self-centered for God to need to stand out from everyone else, or to make sure God gets all the, the attention that He apparently needs. The reason why this is the first petition is because the society around us. And, this, and sin within us relentlessly slanders God's name. 
How many of you seen, and one of my, one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid was, I think it came out in mid-90s, early 90s, was uh, the, um, <clears throat> uh, the Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive. Uh, it's it, it, uh, it's a story of of a, of a doctor, a renowned doctor, who's married, and his wife is brutally murdered, and he is framed for the murder, and he goes to prison, and the rest of the story is a story of him clearing his name. Here is one who is a healer, one who is uh, in every way respectable, and whose name is tarnished, utterly thrown under the bus. And he has to work to recover that name, to recover his true purposes, his true identity, his true nature. And that is exactly the story of the Bible. That a loving and gracious and all-powerful, all-providing God in the garden has his name slandered. And from there on out, it has been a story of him recovering his name. Does that, does, that, does that make sense? In other words, if, if you've ever been slandered, if you've ever been misrepresented, if you've ever been grossly underestimated in your abilities, if you've ever been ignored, or if you've ever been given the silent treatment, then you can kind of relate to God's world. Because that's the world he lives in. And so that first petition is this longing for God to show himself for who he really is. Show me who you are. Don't let me underestimate you anymore. Don't let me assume the worst of you anymore. Don't let me ignore you anymore. And show us, stand out that we might see your glory, that in fact there is no one who loves you, and no, no, no one who loves like you do. And so this first petition, again, is this idea that he is, he is there and we need to see him for who he truly is. Now listen, understand, what, why, again, why is this so important? Because listen to this, because when, we, when, we, when God is known for who he is, it changes everything. Does that make sense? It changes everything. Let me give an example of this. Let's say that we, uh, we, um, we, we go through an experience where we are deeply wronged where someone has hurt us in a really profound way, or maybe a loved one that we know, that they have been hurt deeply. What is going to keep us from being consumed by anger, from being consumed by bitterness? What's going to keep us from acting out in response to, to, to return evil for evil? Oh yeah, you hurt me? I'm going to show you. What's going to keep us from doing that? When we stop and we pray, hallowed be your name, and we specifically see, hallowed be your justice, that God is a God who sees, and he knows, and he remembers. That every single wrongdoing will be addressed with perfect justice and righteousness. It frees us. Hey, I don't have to be the avenger. I don't have to be filled with resentment and anger because there's someone who sees and is even more angry than I am. Someone who sees and remembers and will not forget as the rest of the world moves on, as everyone else forgets about the evil that has been done, God remembers and so when we see him for who he is, when we see the zeal of, the, of, his, of his righteousness, of his justice, 
I'm actually freed from bitterness. All right, we can remember the words of this past spring. We remember the exhortation of Paul in Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Isn't that amazing? So when we, we see God's name, we see his reputation, we see his character for who he really is, it changes everything. It actually enables us to live our lives in love. That's what Paul goes on to say. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So this first petition is crucial because it, it orients, it reorients our, our hearts and our lives around the very character of God. Now listen, I can't tell you how often in the Psalms the, 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 the Christian, the, the, the faithful person of God is someone who's called one who seeks the Lord. That's what they're called. You know what are Christians called in the Psalms? Those who seek the Lord. And my question for you is this. Do you seek the Lord? Is your life, is your primary goal in life to pursue the name and the beauty and the wonder, the majesty of God. What, is, what does David say in Psalm 27? One thing have I desired. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I just said, what a, what a beautiful line. Can you say that that is my longing, that is my desire? So this first, first petition is simply stand out. Let me see you for you. Let the world see you, that there's no one like you, that you are holy. Second, Jesus says, he prays, when we pray, we are to pray, our Father, stand out. And second, verse 10, take over. We read in verse 10, we read, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When our heavenly Father stands out, listen to this, when he stands out, when we see him for who he really is in all of his faithfulness and all of his justice and all of his love and all of his unchanging authoritative majesty, when we see him for who he is and he answers that prayer saying, indeed, may your name be hallowed, when that happens, we're going to say, you know what, I really want you in charge. And who better? to be in charge than you with all your wisdom, all your majesty, all your power, all your faithfulness. There's no one who should be on that throne except for you. And we gladly step aside. We gladly jump off the throne. We say, we cry out, take over. And guys, this is so important. Whether we've called ourselves Christians for decades or we're considering it the first time today, if we want to understand what following Jesus is all about, then these two petitions stand out and takeover are absolutely crucial. Far too many Christians today, we've skipped these opening petitions, bored by a God that we've domesticated and unwilling to get out of the driver's seat, unwilling to get off the throne, we skip right to forgive us our debts. That's the evangelical Lord's Prayer today. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's no longing to see him for who he is. There's no longing for his will to be done. There's, no, there's not this longing to say, please, listen, I don't want to be in charge anymore. All I do is screw things up. 
As one recent commentator said, the evangelical church is full of many admirers of Jesus, but very, very few followers of Jesus. So, we, so Jesus says we are to pray, stand out, take over, and next, satisfy us. Verse 11, he calls us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We could translate, it's, a difficult, it's difficult to translate. Give us today only the bread we need for tomorrow. Give us a satisfaction, give us a contentment. The petition for daily bread says, Father, show us how reliable you are so I can be free from anxiety, free from this exhausting slavery to to this ever-elusive self-reliance. Help me to live in the present. Help me to enjoy today instead of being conquered by either the regrets of the past or the fears of the future. Satisfy me. Our Father, in all your authority, life-giving authority, stand out. Let me see you for who you are. Take over. I want your will to be done. Please reign in my life, reign in my home, reign in this world. Stand out, take over, satisfy us. Give me a contentment. Quiet my heart. Help me to believe that you're in charge. You know, my son, Harrison, is two and a half years old. And never once has he said, you know, know, what if, what if I were to get enough food for you for the next couple weeks? Because, you know, one of these days, you know, Mom, you may forget to feed me. I mean, it's not, it doesn't even enter his mind because he knows. He has parents. He has a mother. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. He just knows he's going to be provided for. There's a peace there. There's a faith there. There's a trust. It's just right there. Finally, Jesus says, stand out, take over, satisfy us, and then last, set us free. Set us free from two things. First, look in verse 12. Set us free from sin. Jesus says that when we pray, forgive, and here the word forgive means to release. That's why I say set free. It means to release. Release us. Set us free from our debts, just as we release or set free our, debtor, our debtors. See, guys, here's the bitter thing about the past. It can't be undone, right? How we realize that only, only until it's too late. So whether sins from the previous day or sins from the previous decade, they can haunt us, right? Don't the wrongs we've done, they just haunt us. They weigh us down. They lead us into a prison of regret, of missed opportunity, of distance from God and from others. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the singer-songwriter Patty Griffin. She has a beautiful song called Railroad Wings. And, and uh, she has some haunting lyrics where she says, uh, there's things I'll never tell you Till the day I die, things I've done, I can never undo, hiding everything. Do you hear the slavery? Listen, sin entraps, it enslaves. But at the center of Christianity is the idea that the actions of our past need not determine our future. If we have a heavenly father whose three favorite words are, I forgive you, and if his opinion and his opinion alone is the only one that really matters, we can confess our sins to him and to those whom we've wronged, and we can know an incredible freedom. Set us free from our sin. 
Help me to see the slavery of my sin in my life. Help me to see how sin weighs me down, not to be deceived by it. Set me free from our sins. But it's not only study, ask a request to be set free from sin. Second, in verse 13, it's a request to be set free from Satan himself. Verse 13 reads, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the word deliver means set free. Set us free from the evil one. The portrait of the evil one that Jesus gives us in the Gospels focuses on one thing. You ready? Deception. That Satan is the master deceiver. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Or in, in John's Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 44, he, he says that Satan was, quote, a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we pray, set us free from Satan, we're saying set us free from his lies. Help me not to believe lies about you, God, about who you are. Help me not to believe lies about me, Give you, give me, just open up my, my life a little bit here. You know what I, things I struggle with? I struggle with believing Satan's lies that I have any worth at all. There are times I feel so useless, so worthless. Like, if I were to die today, no one would miss me. I just believe that. I can't tell you. You know how I was the same with the beautiful girl? You said, hey, you're really beautiful. And she's like, I'm not beautiful. And you can say that again and again and again. How are beautiful she won't believe you. It's the same thing. It's the lies that I believe. It's like, Bruce, you just, you're just part of the problem. And we're called to pray, deliver us, set us free from Satan, from his lies. He wants me to be, believe lies about God, lies about myself, and lies about others. People don't love me. People don't care about me. People are terrible. People aren't worth investing in. All these lies. So Jesus says, when we pray, pray neither, or we pray not to, not, to create, not to campaign for a certain cause, as if we know what's best. We're going in there as a soldier, aligning ourselves with a commander. We're going there as a child, before a Father who loves us, who knows what's best, an all-gracious, all-wise Father. So we go in not campaigning for our cause. Listen, understand, it's not wrong to petition the Lord with your desires. Bring to Him your dreams. Bring to Him your hopes. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's different from going and demanding that you know what's best. This better happen. Okay, so it's not about campaigning for a cause. It's about connecting with our Heavenly Father, a Father whose, whose authority is life-giving. His word is final. His word is the best word. It's about going before him and saying, Father, stand out. Show us who you are. I want to see you in all your holiness. Help me not to underestimate you. Help me see you in all your wonder and majesty and beauty. Stand out. Take over. Please take the reins. Rule my life and my home. Rule in this church. Rule in this city. Rule in this world. Please extend your reign throughout the world. Stand out. Take over. Satisfy us. Give us a contentment. Give us a peace. Give us a confidence in your provision. 
Free us from anxiety. Stand out, take over, satisfy us, and set us free. Set us free from sin and all its slavery and all its guilt and all its shame. Set us free from Satan with all his lies that he would have us to believe about you, about me, and about others. Brothers and sisters, how I long for us to be a praying church. How I long for all of you to know the peace that comes through prayer. How I long for our homes to be places of prayer throughout the day. That we pray together, pray as couples, pray as families. Because listen, there's no other way. There's no other way. The change that I need, the change that you need, the hope that I need, the hope that you need, the wisdom that we all need, the change that this world needs, it's not going to happen through cool sermons, moving sermons. It's not going to happen through lots of money, big donors. It's not going to happen through new buildings. It's not going to happen through It happens through prayer. It happens through God's people when they humble themselves, longing to know him, longing to see his glory, longing to commune with him, drawing near to connect with their Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father,